Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Agility Bed, who's celebrating Cyber Monday with a special sale for everyone out there who could use an upgrade in the mattress department. Now through December 1st, you can get $200 off any of their hybrid mattresses and a free sheet set by entering the code BLACKOUT at agilitybed.com. Again, that's BLACKOUT now through December 1st. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today we're discussing how much blogging about our home influences the decorating choices we make here, and what we'd do differently in the past if the internet hadn't been watching. Plus, one of my design daydreams is finally coming true. I want to tell you guys a funny byproduct that has sort of popped up since we painted our house white, and I never would have really expected this to happen, but we have an amazing neighbor. We've talked about her before because we replaced her mailbox when we replaced our mailbox. That was like 100 podcasts ago. We both have mailboxes right next to each other, and we figured since we were replacing ours, we might as well offer to her to do hers. She was into it. We ordered two of the same thing. John DIY'd both of them for her. We got hers up. They look great. And it felt like a nice thing we could do for our neighbor. And speaking of her house, she has one of the houses on her street that's siding. There's a ton that are brick like ours. And hers is a siding one. And it's sort of painted in like a colonial Williamsburg color palette. Like a tawny, like caramel, tan, greenish siding color. Yeah, kind of like a soft greeny brown. Yeah. And then there's like a maroon shutter. And like the front door is also maroon and the garage doors are also maroon. Yep. And so I always look at it out the window because I like to play this game, right? We all play this game if we're into house stuff. What would I do if that was mine? (laughs) Yeah, because I wouldn't say it's a color scheme we would choose for our own house because it is that kind of more historic colonial Williamsburg look. It has like cream trim and you know we like a crisp white trim. Yeah, I mean we all do different things to our houses, but I played that game where I'd stare at it out the window and I'd be like, if it was mine, I would do this and that. And you know, just like imagining I didn't really think I'd ever get to do this or that. Well, yeah, and you can't walk up to your neighbor and say like, hey, I thought you might like to change your house. Like, you, right? it's, There's not a delicate way to suggest a new color scheme to your Neighbor, unless Nor is are... it your place, right? Like everyone listening, Good don't point. start telling your neighbors what to do with their house. This is a game I play in my head. I play it with people's landscaping. Like I would get rid of that bush. Ooh, I love that tree. I would put mulch under it. Sherry's very judgy, everyone. Just <laughs> let's call it what it is. No, I think it just goes back to like, it's a fun exercise for me. But I know in my very rational mind that what I think someone should do with their house is not what they should do to their house. They should do what they want to do to their house. Right. Because we're on the other side of that. Like there are people saying, I would put shutters back up if I were you or like I would rebuild the portico if I were you or I would do a door in a different color totally hear you love that you have those opinions it's my house I'm gonna do what I want well it's the reason we all love watching like house hunters and stuff it's because you can put yourself in the shoes of those people and figure out what you would do even though you're not gonna have the opportunity to right exactly it's It's a fantasy it is it's like me playing the sims but I play it with landscapes and houses that are real and I pretend like if it were my challenge what would I do so anyway I've been staring at this house for five and a half years very close with this neighbor love her so much she is so sweet to our children like we are like family at this point so replacing our mailbox was the least we could do and we're always saying like if you need any help let us know so after we painted our house she was like I actually would like your help and I was like oh with what And she said, with my exterior, if this were your house, what would you do? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Cue the 
fireworks, the full drum line that marched through my brain. It was a celebration of my brain. I wish I had been there for this conversation because I would have just stared right at Sherry to see how she kept herself composed. <laughs> I really tried to be like, oh, I'll have to think about that. But sure. like, of course I've been thinking about this for five years. So I have all these ideas. And she even wants to do more than I was thinking. Like I was thinking about suggesting a door color and a shutter color to maybe update everything. But she was like, oh, I want to replace all my lanterns, which are those old brass ones. And they do kind of look a little bit dated now. So I'm really excited. And I'm essentially like making her a mood board. And I'm pulling inspiration pictures of houses with similar shapes and some of the colors that we're going to keep. And then just with fresh new accent colors and like maybe the garage doors and the front door get painted, the shutters get a different tone. I think she could do a color accent on the front door because right now the front door matches her shutters. And I don't think she has to do that. But anyway, it's just getting started. I've just picked out some lanterns and stuff, but I will keep you guys posted. I think the lesson here, the takeaway for anyone listening is that if you want to change something about your neighbor house make a big change to your own house <laughs> and wait for them to notice and ask you for help <laughs> right exactly it's worked for one of our neighbors well we largely ignored the exterior of our house for many years and for that i apologize to all of our neighbors we finally got around to it and now it looks good but it took us a long time to get there well and actually speaking of the exterior and the landscaping we have been having this debate here about our leaf removal because if you live in an area like ours this time of year fall the worst season i wasn't going to get into that <laughs> But one thing I dislike about fall is once the leaves come down, it creates a lot of work for us. Like just a couple weekends ago, I spent four hours across two days blowing all the leaves in our driveway and our front yard and our backyard. And like the trees, if you look up, still look fully coated in leaves. Right. Like that was a drop in the bucket compared to what's ahead of you. Yeah. I mean, I probably still have another 12 hours of leaf removal this season alone. And it's something we've been doing every fall. It's a huge time suck this time of year. I like to say that the official sound of our neighborhood transitions from lawnmowers to leaf blowers. It really does. Because any Saturday or Sunday, you can hear like six neighbors blowing leaves at once. And as a side note, allow me to paint a picture of John, the person who bucks traditional societal things that happen in our neighborhood. So everyone in our neighborhood has about an acre of land. And everyone has a rider mower, except my husband, who doesn't even just have a gas push mower. He has an electric push mower. So he charges the batteries and pushes this little push mower all around the yard. And I'm like, good. You love it. It's good for the environment. I'm happy for you. Cut to John with the leaf blower. Also not a gas backpack, which is what everyone has. Or they have one of those really huge push ones that are like look like a huge fan. that Like a snow blower? Yes. It like rolls on the ground. John has his electric one, but you know, he's not using gas. It's not making fumes. So again, he's super eco. It's wonderful, but it's a big yard. It is, although it's not a full acre. Not all that acre is yard. Right. A lot of it is So I don't sound crazy completely at least. And I guess, you know, if Tim, the tool man Taylor from Home Improvement was all about more power, John, the not tool man Peter Sick is all about sufficient power. Right. He's like, and that's enough for me. If it does enough, but not too much because I don't want to scare myself. (laughs) Then I'll take it. If it can't blow up because it's not full of gas, cool. Well, I've had the same plug-in electric leaf blower the entire time we've been homeowners for 12 years, and it's doing its job. That's right. Long extension cord. Yes, I did get that battery-powered cobalt one, which I dug on several podcasts ago, just to do quick leaf cleanups like in the driveway, but that's not good for the whole yard. I still use my plug-in one for that. It is not the most efficient way to do it. So Sherry and I have been talking lately about whether it's time to hire out our leaf removal. Which is also funny because everyone in our neighborhood does that too. I would say probably two thirds of our street hires it out. 
And so I am stubborn in these sorts of things. I like to do yard work myself. Not that I always enjoy doing it, but for some reason, it is one of those tasks where I feel like it's what you grow up to do. Like my dad did it growing up. And so it's like my turn as a rite of passage to be the one who's in charge of the yard. Um, Excuse me, I weed the beds. That's Well, okay. You're in charge of the grass. I'm in charge of the yes, beds. the yard. <laughs> okay. Um, it's sometimes a little bit like therapeutic and meditative to be out there, like just listening to music or a podcast or whatever. And so I don't totally dislike the task of actually doing it. It's just about carving out the time to do it. Like we had an issue over the summer because we were gone so much in Cape Charles that whenever we were home, I was spending like big chunks of time mowing the grass because it had been so long. And it would take me like two or three mows to get it down to a normal length again before we left again. And I was like, John, our neighbor up the street pays $30 to this guy who does her whole yard. So we could have like signed up for that once every two weeks for the summer. And like $30 each time is not even that much instead of coming home to all this extra work, like on top of the work work we have to do because we've been at the beach. We have yard work we have to do because we were at the beach. Well, so Sherry is slowly convincing stubborn me to hire out our leaf blowing this year. We haven't done it quite yet, but I think we are going to give it a try. And this is sort of the thing that made me figure out that I should let go of this hang up I have about wanting to do it myself. And it's actually a concept I read about a long time ago in some like business magazine. I think they call it like the idea of thinking of your executive hours. So like if you're the CEO of a company and say your hours are worth $100 per hour or something. Dang, you're fancy. Well, you're a big CEO of a big company. Right. Um, Then you should be spending your time doing tasks that match that pay rate. You shouldn't be using your time to do tasks that, you know, an entry level person who's paid $12 an hour could do, you know, like filing or scheduling meetings or booking travel or whatever. It's, you know, a way to think about when you are running a company, how you should outsource things to other people. Right. But I have thought a lot about this idea in terms of a family. So not like a CEO of a company. But if you are a parent or a spouse and, you know, like one of my primary functions in this household is to be a husband and to be a father. And I would say those are like at the top of the list. So my role as like lawnmower and leaf blower pales in comparison. Totally agree. And so should I really be spending four hours on a Saturday to go outside by myself and blow leaves? No, I think if it's fun for you, certainly the three of us inside for those four hours can find something fun to do. But if you'd rather be with us and you're like, dang, they're in there playing a board game on the rug with a fire on and I'm out here blowing leaves, then like pay a guy to do it. Well, and like I'm thinking ahead to that I have more weekends of leaf blowing and we have to like schedule around that. Like we couldn't go do a day trip because we might have to be home so I could blow the leaves. So those are the sorts of things that are helping me come around to the idea of like, let me just outsource this. Well, maybe just try it for the season. If it's too expensive, because I have no idea what it would cost to get someone to blow this all season. Right. Maybe we will find a compromise next year. Maybe I will just go back to doing it myself. But at least I will know. Yeah, we'll do an update and tell you guys what we think. But I think what it's going to feel like is like great to earn that time back because, you know, weekends are precious to us. We work during the week. (laughs) Yeah, the kids are in school. Right. So we get a lot done then. And it's nice for the weekends to feel different than that. It's hard to distinguish when you work from home weekdays from weekends if you don't put special care into keeping the weekends more for family stuff. So I think that that's important to us. Yeah, that's why I only leaf blow on the weekend. (laughs) To get away from us. (laughs) That is not a weekday task. That's a weekend task. 
But anyways, I wanted to move on to a listener question that we got by voicemail. And if you guys don't know, because we haven't mentioned it in a while, we do have a voicemail line where you can leave us a message with any question that you want us to try to tackle on an episode. The phone number is 571-4-YHL-HAP. And it goes directly to voicemail. You don't have to worry that we're going to like pick up. Yeah, you can call anytime, middle of the night. Yep. Leave a message. We'll hear it at some point and we'll hopefully answer it. Yep. But anyways, here's this week's. Hi, this is Sarah. I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas, and I have a question for you. As bloggers who share mostly renovations or DIYs, et cetera, of your own homes, how do you balance tackling projects because you want to do them personally um, with the potential of the great content that it will create for your followers? Thanks. This is a really interesting question, Sarah. And I think if you asked 50 bloggers how they balance sort of their own wants and needs and the idea of creating interesting content, you'd probably get 50 different answers because I think it's different for every blogger or Instagrammer or whatever because we all approach this stuff very differently. I think there are some bloggers out there who really own the fact that they are doing things to create content. Like Emily Henderson comes to mind. I feel like she's always very transparent about like, hey, the great part about me buying a new house is that I get to create all this new content for you. You get all these new posts of me designing it. Right. And she even opens it up to the audience like, hey, do you guys think I should do this or this in the mountain house? Vote. Swipe up and tell me what you think. Like she really makes it about her audience shaping the content. And she is often having a dialogue with the audience about what do you want to see more of and owning the fact that if I get to do this, you guys get to see me do X, Y, and Z because I just bought this new property. Right. And I also think there's a lot of other blogs out there whose content is completely separate from the needs of their own house, like who are just creating crafts and projects just for the sake of having the tutorials out there. Right. An example would be if there's like a crafting blog and they do things on an editorial calendar, meaning they say like, oh, Halloween's coming up and I'm going to do 10 different Halloween crafts so that I can pin them in time for people who are actually doing Halloween stuff to repin them and follow them and click my site. Right. They're not making 15 different wreaths for Christmas because they have 15 different doors. They're just trying to create 15 different wreaths for people to read about. Right. And pin and repin and go to their blog and look at their tutorials. Right. So all this is to say that our answer is very specific to us. And I think it's something that is a little bit of a gray area, especially looking back, like what did we do? Because it's what we wanted to do. You know, even without an audience, that's how it would have turned out. And what did we do because it made the content more interesting or something like that? Right. And I think back then, if you asked me, like with a lie detector test, I would have passed because I believed that I was doing everything because I wanted to. And it was just like, no, this is like a hidden camera show where we just do what we want and we document it. But we're not like ever doing something just because the audience might think it's more interesting. I liked to believe and did believe that a lot of the choices, if not all of the choices that we made, were definitely driven by like us doing what we want because I was aware, I knew it was our house and we needed to love it. Like it wasn't a dollhouse for the world, it was my house and I wanted to really like it. But having taken the break and gone away for a year, I think it gave us fresh eyes and we can now look back and see when you're creating content of a post every day or even two posts a day, you are often like, ooh, but if I pick this choice, it's so boring, right? Like it's not as interesting. And so I think we were subconsciously overcomplicating some things just because I think the function of it was if I pick another white wall, that's not an interesting post. Right, exactly. So I'd say in my brain like, ooh, what if we did this a dark teal color? That would be new and different. And then I could talk about how to paint a 
dark wall because I've never done that. So I could learn a new technique and I could share that. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of factors, which is why it's hard for me to separate in my brain what the true or strongest motivation for what we did in the past was. Because I think a lot of it was because it's what we wanted our house to look like. But there were also things I think looking back were probably more because we thought the content would be more interesting. I think also we were in a newer stage of home ownership where we were being more experimental or we wanted to learn new techniques. And so we might have done something not because it was the final outcome we wanted, but like we just wanted to try something to get it out of our system. Right. Like I remember in the second house, we were like, let's do cork floors because we've never laid cork floors before. And then we could teach everyone how to do cork floors. Yeah. And it was truly because it was a new skill we'd get to learn and teach people. And that sounded fun. But I don't know what percentage of that, if I was living on my own and didn't have a blog, I would have been for sure going with cork. Like we liked it, but it also had a lot of shiny bonuses floating around it because it was right. a new thing. Same with like the penny tile backsplash. I remember being like, well, we've already done subway tile and taught people how to apply that, but we could learn how to lay penny tile. And then we could do a tutorial on how to cut penny tile because they're smaller and like yep. how to deal with that. So it seemed like, it seemed like a choice that checked all the boxes, right? It seemed like it was good for us. Us and we would pick it and we'd like it, but also like, ooh, and it's good since we're bloggers because we also should think about that. Yes, I think a lot of decisions fell in that zone where it checked all the boxes or it checked several boxes. I mean, one that stands out to me if I had to like go back to an old post and say like, this is something I definitely would not have done if it was just me living on my own with no audience. Because also keep in mind that we started our blog like a year after buying our first house. So the majority of our time being homeowners has been with an audience. Right. So in some ways we don't really Really know how to make decisions without an audience watching. Except for taking that year off. Right. Which really reset us. We'll get to how that has changed in a second. Yes. But you were about to point out one project that you yes. thought was weird. In our first house, we put a stencil pattern on our sunroom floor. And I think part of it was because we had never stenciled before we wanted to try. But I think if I look back, it was really because we felt like the room needed something more. It wasn't interesting enough. We maybe didn't have a post that week and we needed to do something. And I think that was a project that we kind of pulled out of our pocket because we're like, well, this will be good for the blog. Yeah. Like John had talked in previous episodes about how he remembers this post about a fashion show with different lampshades. Like yeah. we literally auditioned like eight lampshades and that was a post. Right. Well, because we had talked in that episode, this was when we were talking about how we were able to make decisions in the duplex and the beach house so quickly because we weren't going one room at a time and we weren't overthinking things. I think at the time of like doing that lampshade fashion show or that rug fashion show, that's the only way we knew how to make decisions for our home was to overthink and to belabor the process for everyone to see and to invite people into the process too. Right, to say like, everyone, whole internet, tell me your thoughts. Right, and obviously everyone agreed because the internet always speaks with a single voice. <laughs> no, they never agreed. And I think in hindsight, after that year off, we were like, oh my gosh, no wonder it was confusing. There were so many voices. Voices. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to the episode where we talked a bit more about what we learned from taking our year off back in 2014, 2015. Um, but part of that, I think we said was by the end of that period of blogging, we'd been blogging for seven years straight. I think it was really hard to separate our own voices from the voices of our audience. Like we've just said here how it's hard to figure out what the strongest motivation was for some of our decisions. And I think that was so hard at the end of those seven years that we weren't clear anymore what we were doing for ourselves. Right. We were like people pleasers and we wanted people to like our projects, right? And like, does that make me a bad DIYer that I want people to get a lot from my posts and I don't want to just like do how to do a subway wall again for the fifth time? Right. Like I wanted to give more 
And then we took that year off when we were like, this is not our job. We're not indebted to the internet and trying to like people please everyone and make choices that everyone will like. Because we also learned in that year off that nobody ever agrees anyway. Right. And so I think we got to come back really strong in our, we like what we like. In some ways, it reminds me of my uniform. I wear what I like and it's what I like. And I know not everyone would do black every day, but I like it. And it's me. It's I'm embracing the meanness of my wardrobe. And I'm not like telling myself a story that I'm a person who likes something else or I should buy something else for variety. I am just being very true to myself. I think we came back kind of doing that too. And we did it behind the scenes for a year to hone that skill. Yeah, I think it took us that time off to figure out how to hear our own voices the loudest again and to have a more clear sense of like what we really wanted, no matter what everyone else thought or everyone else wanted. And I think hopefully you guys see that reflected in a lot of what we've done in the last few years, because if I think about how we have decorated our house, especially in the sort of minimizing that you've done lately, and we've repainted rooms to be sort of all the same color for the most part. Right. We've done a lot of streamlining, Yeah, which it's almost like mentally that seems anti-blogger, right? Like making things similar might mean a boring choice, right? Like I'm using the same curtains everywhere, which we mentioned we did at the beach house without even thinking about it. Yeah. We did subway tile so often there. We did the kitchen backsplashes subway tile and many of the shower surrounds are subway tile. We did it because it was what we wanted and never once did we think are people going to say that's boring you always do subway tile literally did not enter our minds yeah i think the beach house had we decorated it to be more interesting content we would have made a lot more varied and maybe bolder choices like we would have used more than one color on all of the walls throughout the entire house right the entire house has white heron on the walls it's a very very light tan now i will point out you said a few minutes ago that at the time like years ago you would have passed a lie detector test saying that you were only doing these things for your own interests. I really thought I was. Like if someone yelled at me and said, you're just doing this for content, I'd be like, no, I'm just doing what I want. It's my own money. It's my own house. Well, and that's what you're saying now about now. So I just want to acknowledge that down the road, we might be able to see that some of the things we did, we could have done slightly differently. But I think we have put some practices in place to sort of protect our own voice a little bit better in this process and make sure we're listening to ourselves. Like we do less polling of the audience. Like when it comes to decorating choices, we are not opening it up to public discussion because we know that you guys will not agree on the same thing. And then it also takes away from us being sure we are doing it because it's what we want for the spaces that we are living in. Like we'll still pull you guys on like, should I get an Apple watch or whatever? Like those things that are inconsequential where I I do need input on things. But in terms of making permanent decisions for a house, we are trying to make the decisions here internally between the two of us. Right. We're looking inward instead of looking outward. Right. Which in general, guys, not to get too deep, but I think we all need to look inward more and look less (laughs) outward for the answers that lay outside in the world. Because I think all the answers are really within us to know what we want and what we desire in our lives in general. And I think decorating your house is just one tiny aspect of that. But like when we're looking for external people to validate this is yes. getting this is getting very deep to here. validate us or to support our choices they might not make the same choices but like just because some people think my door should be a brighter color again I had a bright door for five years I'm very happy with my very chill door now like yeah. we are just doing us yeah and that's what we want everyone to do like don't decorate because of what we say like do what makes you happy in your own home I feel like that is our constant refrain 
Yeah, and that's what we're just trying to live by and I guess maybe model by doing it, like making decisions that are things that we want to do regardless of how well they play on the internet. Right, and it's like at the duplex, we definitely are thinking about interesting choices because we want it to be a fun beachy place. So like, yeah, we're taking more risks with tile. It's not because we're like, ooh, the internet might like that. It's much more to me, like it's a beach house. If someone comes and rents it, will they really like having this multicolored chevron underfoot or this like fun hex that's got green and pink in it in the bathroom? Yeah, I was gonna say that I do feel with the duplex that voice creeping in a little bit that says like you should do this to be interesting and I was thinking about that the other day actually that I think it is more because I want to be interesting for the people renting there or I want it to look good on an Airbnb you know because that's the place where people are going to choose your house versus another one like I want the photos to play well there Right. But I think that's still from a pure place because if you're renovating an Airbnb without an audience, you just choose what you think would work well for the Airbnb, not like the entire internet at large. Right. And I do feel also this aspect of experimentation coming back in for the duplex, you know, where we might choose something more interesting and not what we would do in our own house that we're living at full time. But it's because like, this might be a fun time to try a different thing. Like that's why we're doing different cabinets there because we think like, this is a good chance to do something bolder. Someone's not living there full time. So like, let's not just do white cabinets. Let's try colorful cabinets. Totally agree. And I want to say in all this that I don't think it is wrong by any means to do things for content's sake or to pull your audience or to have people very involved in your projects. I think they're just different ways Ways to approach it and we found for ourselves that it's clearer for us to not have all that input i mean maybe people like emily henderson are much better at juggling all of those data points that are coming in at them but we found that it stressed us out more and it sometimes made it more difficult to move forward and to be happier with the result and the other side of that coin though is that there have been moments in the past that were really amazing when someone gave us an idea we probably wouldn't have come up with on our own or definitely wouldn't have an example would be that when we were renovating our laundry room we were going to keep the same footprint and a reader who actually was an artist architect was looking at it and was saying like, hey, if you move that over to the right, yes, you'd have to rehook up your washer and dryer. You'd have to restructure your steps to the attic a little bit, but you could get a full dedicated like actual laundry room instead of a little laundry closet with bifold doors, which is what we had before. And as soon as she said that I started measuring, it fit. We did that. It was extra money and work to move it. But oh my gosh, am I so glad every day that we took that advice and did that layout. Yeah, that's a good point. Like we're not saying that we don't want any input from the audience and we don't want any reaction. I think we're just a bit more discerning moving forward about when we seek that outside input now. Yeah, it was so awesome that she said that. And you know what? It didn't get lost in like a thousand people saying what we should do because we hadn't asked what we should do. We were like, we're going to do it this way. And then someone kind of piped up and said, well, if you consider doing it this other way. Are you saying that people on the internet provide unsolicited advice? (laughs) But in that case, it was amazing. So I think I'm just saying that there are good parts and bad parts about doing this out in the open. So I didn't want this whole segment to sound like, here are all the pitfalls to having everyone weigh in. It's so hard to be a blogger. Right, because there are some really amazing, helpful tips. Even when things go on sale and someone tells me, hey, the thing you were looking at is on sale, I'm like, wow, it is amazing to have this like group of people who look out for you. And in turn, we're sharing our like advice and tutorials with them and it feels like a symbiotic internet relationship. What a heartwarming note to end on, Sherry. I mean, it's it's a kumbaya moment. (laughs) Yes. And like we said at the start, if you guys have a question you want us to tackle on a future episode of the podcast, you can leave us a voicemail at 571-4-YHL-HAP. And next up we have We're Digging. I'm digging something that makes an awesome holiday gift, but first we have to take a quick break. So 
I know Cyber Monday is usually all about getting these deals and gifts for other people, but this week's sponsor, Agility Bed, is giving you an awesome excuse to do something nice for yourself for a change. Yeah, so if your mattress is past its prime or you feel like you're waking up tired and sore every morning, give Agility a try. Because now through December 1st, they're taking $200 off any mattress and throwing in a free sheet set when you enter code BLACKOUT at agilitybed.com. And before you eye roll the idea of an online mail order mattress, we've been there. But their mattresses are different. They aren't all foam like a lot of the mail order ones. And we actually tried an all foam mail order one and sent it back because it was too soft for us. So instead, we got a hybrid mattress, which is the same kind of bed that Agility makes. Yeah, so a hybrid mattress is one that has the cushy feel of foam, but also has coils in it because that's what you need to actually feel supported when you sleep. And if it's not the right mattress for you, no biggie. Agility gives everyone an 100-night, no-questions-asked free trial, but it's only now through December 1st that you can get their Cyber Monday deal, which again is that $200 off any mattress plus a free sheet set. To get it, just enter the code BLACKOUT at agilitybed.com. And if you're hearing this after December 1st, you can still get $150 off every other day of the year with the code YHL150. You know that line in Meet the Parents where, um, what's that guy's name? Who He's like, I whittled it out of one block of wood. Oh, Owen Wilson? Yes. Whenever I see these objects, it makes me think of, I whittled it out of one block of wood. Because what I'm talking about are those little wooden pegs of people. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? They usually have like a round top and then like sort of just a bullet-shaped body. And people paint them in all different ways. Actually, one of my best friends back in Jersey is an amazing painter of pegs. She has an Etsy shop, but she's on break right now because she just had a little baby. But anyway, she does insane pegs and she does cool groupings. Like she does the Ghostbusters or she does one of Breaking Bad and they're so freaking cute. Like they're such good gifts if someone's really into like Star Wars or Breaking Bad, stuff like that. There are pegs on Etsy for that. Yeah, you may have seen us share pictures because when our daughter was smaller, she gave her like all the Disney princesses. Oh, yes. And then it expanded. She made little ones of our family, which brings me to what I'm digging today because I noticed on Etsy more and more sellers are making these little peg families or what they're calling family portraits. It's adorable. And they're painted very simplistically, right, guys? Like this is not super realistic. They don't have noses or ears. Like they're just round. (laughs) They're not lifelike portraiture on peg form. No, but they're like a representation, like an abstract of your family in this cute 3D medium. And some of them are even sold in like a shadow box. So you could literally hang it right on the wall and have all the little people of the family lined up. I'll link to them in the show notes because they're adorable. And I think half the fun is just seeing how they represent certain things like the little baby that's all swaddled or like the cat where they glue little pointy ears on it. They're just adorable. I think it makes an amazing gift if you're really close to a family. And I even think you could put it on the list for yourself if you would like to receive it because I think they're just so cute. And they start at like maybe $36, maybe $50 range if you're getting more and more pegs. Yeah, I think it, it depends on how more. big the family is. Yeah. yeah. Ours was given to us by our friend after our son was born. So he was like a little kind of squat baby peg. And then there was our daughter and the two of us. Although I was going to say a shadow box would have been nice because I don't know if we know where all of ours are anymore. We have them. They're just all strewn around the house. Yeah, they're probably under a couch somewhere. Yeah, but I love the idea of like a little place to display them. Or if you have like open shelves in your kitchen, you want to put them in the kitchen window. They're all flat on the bottom. So even the swaddled baby will stand up. I just think they're really cute. And I'll link to some of my favorite Etsy shops that are open right now making them so that you have a place to start if you want to send it out as a wish list item or you want to order one for your friend. You probably want to get on it pretty soon. I'll say clock's ticking. Yeah, those get backed up a little bit. 
And what I'm digging this week is also something that could make a good gift, although this is something I bought myself. You guys remember my whole thing about trying to minimize my keychain? I'm sure you you forgot it because it was just a little blip that was mentioned on like three episodes. <laughs> it was a big pilgrimage for John to get back to basics and not carry around 100 keys and 50 reward cards. Yeah, so it seems people have been interested in the key ring that I bought that I mentioned on the podcast. So I thought people might be interested to hear that I also got a slim wallet to try to also carry this minimalism over to my back pocket and get rid of my giant wallet that I've been carrying around for years. That was so loose, cards just fell out of it. Yes. It's not giant because it was filled with cash. It was mostly filled with receipts. And royalty cards. Yes, and more royalty cards. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm a hoarder of those. But literally, you would set it on the counter and it was so floppy and old, they would just collapse out of it. It was like made of paper that was rotting away. It was one of the traditional sort of trifold leather wallets that who knows where I got that one. I've had it forever. It was disintegrating in front of us. Yes. So I finally decided to force myself to pare down my wallet to get a minimal slim wallet. And someone recommended this one I got on Amazon. It was only $13. So it's not expensive at all. And it has been doing the job just fine. I will say that a slim wallet only gets as slim as you make it. Right. John was like, I'm upset at this wallet not being slim. And I was like, you have 50 cards in it. You need to cut it down. It's not 50. But because I have our personal cards, and I also have our business credit cards, like, I have more cards than the average person probably needs to carry around. I have been trying to move over to use my Apple wallet more, but it just, I can't get rid of every card quite yet because not every place takes Apple wallet when I need it. But it's way slimmer than your old one. Well, I would say the main thing is that it does have like a little pocket in the middle for cash, but it's tight enough that like I don't end up stuffing receipts and coins and stuff in there. It forces me to clean out my wallet and not let things pile up in it. That's a selling feature. Yes, that has been the main advantage for me. The one that I bought on Amazon, you can't personalize, but I'll put a link to some from Etsy because there's lots on Etsy as well that you can in case you want to make this more of like a personalized Christmas gift. Giftier with the monogram or something. Yeah, it would be a little bit more special. It wouldn't feel like you just spent 13 bucks on Amazon like I did. Yeah, but yours is cute. John's is like just like a tan leather. It's very clean looking. It looks good with this leather key ring. Yeah, it's like kind of a camel leather color. And there, I think, are like two dozen different colors you can get of this one that I purchased. So there's lots of options. Now, if I could only just figure out how to get rid of more of my cards. Everyone's going to say, put them in your Apple wallet. I did the best I could, guys. <laughs> this is Sherry from the future saying, John, I'm just going to get a lot of DMs about Apple wallet again. My business ones are not compatible. I checked. Mm. Nothing I can do, guys. Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. And you know, speaking of good gifts, it would be a super helpful gift to us if you gave a recommendation of our podcast to a friend or family member. Tell them podcasts are great for keeping them company during all the upcoming holiday tasks like shopping, gift wrapping, light stringing, cookie making, keeping your elf on the shelf out of trouble. Oh, I forgot that our elf was coming back to visit. And keep telling us what you do while you listen. Like Emily on Instagram, who listens while traveling the country with her polka band. Whoa, isn't that what John Candy's character does in Home Alone? Yes, she goes to 200 places. And don't forget to head over to younghouselove.com slash podcast to see all the photos, links, and info from this episode, like pictures of our big leaf-filled yard and that stencil project we probably wouldn't have done without our blog. And all those cute little peg families that you can find on Etsy, they're adorable. Later. Bye. Later. Bye. No, we're past Thanksgiving, Sherry. Maybe like, ho, ho, ho. Oh, you're switching impressions now? Wait, listen to this. Are you a reindeer? I am. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Our podcast has turned into a game of charades. (laughs)